0: This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On Air.
1: In the untouched regions of the forest, the kōkako runs through the treetops, feeding on leaves, flowers, and fruit. The South Island kōkako, with its distinctive orange wattles at the base of the bill, hasn't been sighted in many years and may be extinct. A situation the blue wattled bird of the North Island may find itself in, unless its habitat is preserved. Its delightful call includes a variety of rich organ and bell-like notes.
2: Community or chaos, we can construct
1: and nurture community or fall into chaos. Over the next hour, Marvin Hubbard hosts
2: conversations toward creating a fairer, more equal society. Community or Chaos is made possible with the support of Quaker's Aotearoa. You'll find them online at quaker.org.nz.
0: Hello friends, today we have Bryce Edwards of the Democracy Project, which is situated at Victoria University in Wellington and this project aims to enhance new zealand's democracy and public life promoting critical thinking and debate and engagement in politics will you can podcast this by going to oar.org.nz and then going to podcast and going to community chaos welcome aboard bruce we'll be talking about Health reform generally and uh, the influence of the economy and economic theory has on this. Uh, Bryce, uh, could you talk about investment in health care? And, sure. invest- and should investment in health care be considered a luxury that we cannot afford? Could you discuss this?
2: Um, Yeah, Maureen, good morning, Marvin. Uh, Thanks for inviting me on the show. Yes, healthcare continues to be one of the big issues in New Zealand politics. And, you know, the question of whether we should be, you know, prepared to spend more on it or whether we should be considering it a luxury is one that we've been looking at, I think, for You know, for for decades really, and it happens all over the world. Uh, I have my own personal view that we should be spending more of uh, our collective resources on healthcare, and that, uh, you know, there's lots of problems, huge problems in our health system at the moment. But I would just quickly point out that um, it's not just me thinking this, and uh, recent opinion polls have shown that there's a, a public desire out there for health issues to be fixed. And so uh, the Ipsus, sorry, no, the Ipsus survey of in February of this year asked people what their most important issues are in politics at the moment. And first was inflation, second was housing, third was crime, fourth was health care. And 27% of people nominated health as the, the most pressing problem. And uh, there was another survey more recently from One News asking what issue would influence people's vote the most, and healthcare again was the third highest issue. So this is a really important issue for a lot of people, and uh, obviously we're all consumers of of healthcare in lots of different ways. And I don't think there's many people that would regard. Their own health is something of a luxury or, or something that, uh, yeah, we can uh, think of as a nice-to-have, as John Key used to talk about. It's not a luxury. It's a really basic part of human existence. And so, yeah, I'm certainly a proponent of uh, of the state, of us as public, spending more on healthcare and having better health
0: services. Have you seen the recent survey of uh, people on the- – the question of raising the uh, retirement age, saying they'd be willing to pay more taxes if the retirement age wasn't raised.
2: Yeah, that was an interesting survey. You're quite right, Marvin. Um, again, when people are actually given choices, they do tend to want a, a, a bigger and better welfare state. They and want they're willing to, to have pay for it, not they? Things like retirement. Yeah, and they're willing to pay for it.
0: It's um, the government and business is not willing to have it.
2: Yeah, that's right. I, I think we lack a lot of political leadership and even kind of political choices that give us that option. Um, so, yes, um, the Labour Party are the ones that are most associated with, uh, with health care and providing a better uh, health service, but it doesn't always seem to translate when they're in government into actually doing things better, um, so yeah, that—that's that's the real problem at the moment is the politics of healthcare. You know, the people that actually want to pay more taxes, which is the majority for healthcare, don't seem to be able to find a party that actually, you know, will will deliver on that.
0: How would you characterize? Well, after going through COVID nineteen, should we be prepared to? Treat our public health workers with respect and dignity. Can you discuss this?
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously the health system requires a lot of staffing and it requires everyone from um, administrators to nurses to specialists mm. uh, uh, and medical cleaners
0: people. and dieticians and cooks are really quite yeah, important to hospital
2: care. Absolutely, and. Of, of course, as in any part of society, we pay them, you know, kind of different rates. And if you're at the, health, the top of the health system, if you're a manager, for example, or if you're a brain surgeon, you do tend to get paid quite well and you get treated quite well. But at the bottom end of the spectrum, um, not so well. And that includes nurses, that includes, yes, the dieticians, the, the, the kitchen staff, and it uh, includes so much of the workforce are kind of what you might call proletarianized or increasingly sort of pushed down in their kind of working conditions. And I think that is at a big part of the problem with our health service at the moment is that um, cost savings are attempted to be made or at least the government tries to, uh, to keep the costs from going up by, paying people as little as possible. And so, yeah, nurses in particular and lots of other key parts of the health system have really had to go beyond the call of duty in the last few years under COVID. And they've been expected to make the system work. And now I I guess I have to declare perhaps a conflict of interest here, Marvin. Um, I I have a sister that's a nurse. I I have a a sister-in-law that's a nurse. Are they going to Australia? Not well. I, I, I tend to think they should, I, because they just have um, such bad experiences of working in um, in the hospitals that they work in. And they get treated very poorly. And so I'm always hearing about their, their poor working conditions. So I, I don't know, I can't help being affected by their stories. And of course, we all have people we know that use the health system and have various um, I do know experiences both you know positive and negative but just to answer your question though Marvin really is that yes COVID you know over the last few years has been a health crisis and it's shown that um, our system hasn't been up to the necessary um, standards, but we've had some amazing people working in there making the system work. Well, it feels and,
0: to me like yeah, the government has Alzheimer's disease. They have a short, very short term memory. They don't even remember what it was like for the society and for nurses and for the medical staff during COVID-19. They seem to have forgotten. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, I don't know. I think it's probably deliberate <laughs> forgetting Mervin, um, I'm not sure if they, uh, yeah, um, just need being reminded. I think they know very well um, how much the health system, uh, you know, saved the government. Um, you know, you have to remember that the current government was re-elected in 2020 um, because people were so appreciative of uh, how New Zealand survived that first wave of COVID. Um, and, yeah, I think the public's appreciation of uh, health workers has really gone up. But the government, like you say, aren't really, in, in the way they're treating the workforce, uh, reflecting reflecting that. So, yeah, it's, it's it's a real shame, absolutely.
0: How would you characterize the trends in funding for public health over the last 30 years or so?
2: Well, health care you know, is it No, no, it's not. And throughout the world and over the last few decades, health funding is a is a really tricky issue because for lots of reasons. I mean, you could start of course with the the neoliberal model that, you know, you and I are very well aware of from the nineteen eighties that was kicked off to try and, you know, keep the welfare State and check, try and run parts of the state more like businesses uh, to keep taxes down, um, to keep uh, you know remuneration or wages down. So that is a big part of of the picture over the last few decades. But it is also a reality that in countries like New Zealand, our average age is getting older. Demographics mean we're getting an older population, um, and also we're having this. Great thing, whereby more and more medicines and technologies have um, you know, come out that can keep us healthier and keep us living older. And they do, but they do cost mm. a great deal. So, should it's not just
0: it's countries not just, like India, you know, European yeah. Union, and America do something to rein in the pharmaceutical yeah. community? So they they make billions. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, they need to make enough money to do the research and so on, but they, the profitability of uh, pharmaceuticals is amazing.
2: Yeah, oh, you, you look, you're absolutely right. In the health um, sphere, it's an incredibly lucrative um, part of the global economy. And so now healthcare is big business. Yes, we like to think of... Uh, our healthcare system as being one that's public and part of the welfare state, and you know, and generally it is, mostly it is, but a lot of the costs are for you know, um, for those pharmaceutical com- um, uh, companies and for the medical technology that's being developed uh, globally, and it's not being done for the public good. It's not being done out of the goodness of the hearts of these people developing medicines. It's being done for profit. So it is part of a global profit system. You're right. Um, whether there's a better way of doing that, oh, it's a big debate, um, but, uh, but you're right. These there must things, be a better
0: way, really.
2: Well, well, like you mentioned with India, yes, there's, um, there's attempts to um, manufacture some of the medicines in a much cheaper way. Um, And, yeah, I think India has shown us the way in that regard. And I I was a bit disappointed during the the main part of the COVID pandemic that when the vaccines were developed, India um, started to, you know, want to produce a people's vaccine so that it could be done cheaply. And countries like New Zealand initially were interested in that, but in the end didn't sign up for it. So, you know, in the end you know, the vaccines are incredibly expensive and some countries can't afford them.
0: Mm. Shouldn't some of the bigger s- states and societies like the European Union do more to rein in the corporations generally?
2: Well, yeah, but they they won't do that unless there's public pressure Um for it, I guess, or at least if there's politicians and political parties that are campaigning
0: for yeah, that. Yeah, that's a sh- one of the shames of Brexit and Trump. Instead of people being able to vote for real change, for real movements yeah. toward equality, uh, they get the choice between business as usual and business with Trump.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think that you've, you've absolutely got it right. and. In in the EU and all parts of the world, historically you've had um, a progressive force, you know, what we might call the the left wing of politics that has traditionally, you know, pushed for these things. Has traditionally, you know, uh, tried to campaign for a welfare state to keep business in check, uh, to keep those you know, pharmaceutical companies in check. But we don't really have that any great strength at the moment throughout the world. So the EU and, yeah, like you say, with Brexit and Trump, a lot of people end up, you know, kind of, um, I don't know, being concerned with other issues rather than, you know. Oh, um, I
0: think it's alienation. I think yeah. that people feel like the governments and parties aren't representing them. They don't feel they can be represented, so they just go their own way.
2: Yeah, no, I think you're right about that. And so a lot of people voting for Brexit in in Britain were people that sort of felt the system wasn't working for them in the UK and that the EU wasn't this uh, progressive left-wing, you know, sort of thing or something that was standing up for common people. Instead, it was standing up for, yeah, pharmaceutical companies and elites and neoliberalism and, you know, globalization. And so, you know, I, I don't know if I... Uh, you know, uh, agreed with them pulling out of uh, the EU at all, but um, I could certainly understand where they were coming from and seeing the EU is not necessarily on their side. And So you can understand how people felt alienated from things like that. Yes, and why they voted for people like Jeremy Corbyn and and Trump and all sorts of things.
0: Why well, Jeremy Corbyn is actually a good choice, to be honest. Yeah. Yes, I mean, if we had absolutely. more people, if the Labour Party had supported Jerry McCorbin instead yeah. of attacking him, betraying him, they might have won the election.
2: Uh, you're probably right, Marvin. Um, I guess what I'm getting at is that some of the votes for these people comes from the same source of uh, the public not feeling that they are being looked after. And so, you know, a, a lot of voters don't really necessarily know the difference between say sanders and brexit and trump but they know that their lives are a bit crappy and they know that everything's aligned against them and that when you've got someone like sanders or corbyn or trump that are you know saying the system's broken um people are kind of attracted to that as opposed to the politicians that say oh everything's great um You know, um, the status quo is worth protecting. I I don't know if people are, you know, believing that so much anymore.
0: Could you talk about this survey of staff opinion in the Te Fiti or uh, New Zealand health? Yes. So, of
2: course, the health system in New Zealand is being restructured at the moment under the current government. You know, previously we had, what was it, 16... Uh, district health boards, so the DHBs, were the kind of management organisations that uh, that ran our hospitals in all the different regional areas. Um, and the current government has decided that there's a better way to do that by centralising everything, getting rid of the DHBs, and they've set up Te Whāra Ora, which is you know, otherwise known as Health New Zealand. And so now you have a centralised um Bureaucracy, if you like, that uh, employs all the nurses and doctors and whoever else in the hospitals, and there's um, yeah, it's, it's a huge organisation. So we sh- you know we need to keep a close eye on uh, Te Ora and how they're running it. And usefully, the organisation Te Ora, did their survey of uh, of staff around the country back at the end of last year. They surveyed 28,000 of their staff, and uh, I don't think they were very keen to release the refinings of that report, but it showed that a, there was huge disgruntlement amongst staff. There was huge, uh, I guess, uh, lack of confidence in the bosses, lack of confidence in their superiors, um, whether it be the, the local managers in the hospitals or um, to or management itself, people didn't really working in the hospitals didn't really believe that their managers were doing a good job, and that they felt bullied. A lot of them talked about being bullied, uh, talked about the um, the huge hours they were having to do without resourcing, and they had a big concern about yeah, the lack of um, yeah basic, resourcing going into hospitals. And so that survey, I think, was a very important one showing that things aren't right and that the staff members don't have confidence that they're about to be improved. And when nurses and doctors don't have much confidence in the political system, sorry, the the, the health system, then that's a real, you know, that's something that we should be standing up and taking you know, notice of. It will mean that the public, you know, also, aren't going to get very good service from people feeling bullied, people that aren't feeling well resourced.
0: What was? Did you listen to the interview of uh, Tiffety Eora chief executive Marjorie oh, App? Response? Yes,
2: um, yes. So the chief executive uh, Margie App, she tried, of course, to play down uh, the results of this survey and. It was pretty disheartening because she didn't take it seriously. She tried to spin the results as as not really indicating anything. And, yeah, it, it didn't really give me much confidence that she's going to be a, a, a very good leader of the new health system. Uh, it was really her first um, test of whether she was a new broom or not. But, no, she seemed very much like... Um, like an apologist for the status quo. I mean, is that the sort of thing that you you saw or you heard, Marvin? What did you? Yeah,
0: well, I heard. I was very shocked actually, because when uh, the nine to noon brought up this uh, the staff unhappiness in this survey, he said, "Oh, those are just union people with contempt." Oh yes. And she also talked about the hospital system as a business.
2: Yeah, that's always a worry when uh, when anyone talks about health or housing that's provided by the state as some sort of business or yeah, profit-making thing. So, yes, you're right. It's, it's not a good sign.
0: Well, I might play some music now. Well, Okay, very one, good. One more question before I play the music. No, I'll play the music first.
2: Okay, very good.
1: Too many people there don't really care. All they care about is getting more than their share. Too many, too many millionaires. Complain about the people Who live on welfare Too many, too many millionaires He's a connoisseur A raconteur Deep down inside He's real shy Tells his chauffeur But he don't call me sir Ain't he a wonderful guy Tell us all about it Tell us again Tell us how your money ain't everything Tell us all about it Tell it to our face How you wanna join us in the human race
0: That was Darren Watson and Too Many Millionaires. Tell us all about it. We're talking with Bryce Edwards of the Democracy Project, and you can podcast this. We're talking about the health reforms and the difficulties with um, funding health. You can podcast this by going to oar.org.nz then going to podcast and going to community or chaos should health care be considered a private good where each individual pays for their own health care and if they can't afford to buy health insurance then suffer the consequences i.e. like the American system or should it be a public good please discuss this question
2: Right. Thanks, Marvin. Uh, yeah, I mean, this again is a big question that we've had to deal with over the years and in different countries, whether, you know, what goods in society should be paid for collectively and which, what should be paid for privately. And in New Zealand, we seem to have come up with this uh, Decision that, you know, a lot of things should be paid for privately. Like You know, when you go to the supermarket, you know, everything there you pay for privately. Um, most of our housing we pay for privately. Um, that hasn't always I mean, been
0: what? the case with housing.
2: No, 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 you're right. But at the moment, most of it is. And you see uh, the
0: result of that.
2: <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Um, and when it comes to things like education and health care, we have decided that most of it should be paid for by the state but not all of it and so we kind of draw lines between you know some of the stuff um and we don't necessarily fund you know some of these things fully so for example um if you need to have operations uh, you can go to the hospital and they will do most operations but not all of them um, in terms of uh if you need to see a doctor you um, for a lot of people it's not funded you know if you go to the gp you'll have to pay either all or some of the the cost of that and um the and it's the private sector basically it's doctors run by business that provide doctors uh, and then if you go to something like dentistry um so dental care it's all just about all 100% privately funded um Unless you're a child, of course. So the government uh, collectively pays for the dental costs of of children while they're at school, but then after that, you have to go to businesses to get your your teeth fixed and pay a hundred percent normally of the cost. So it's you know there's always decisions to be made about you know who should pay for what and. I think historically, really, the left, the political left, have wanted uh, society collectively to pay for more, and those on the political right have wanted individuals, private, you know, uh, individuals, to take a greater responsibility uh, for paying for their health care. And sort of, we move back and forward a bit between those two different systems. And as you've said in your question, the American system, uh, you you've got. Much more of the public having to uh, to pay for health care, and they do that via um, insurance. And, oh, if they so
0: if they can afford insurance, There's exactly. A lot of people that actually don't get healthcare in America,
2: exactly. And we do have some elements of that here in New Zealand. So, um, like I was saying, with dental care, when you're an adult. Hmm. Um, you have to pay, and if you don't have insurance, or if you don't can't afford the visits to the GP, uh, sorry, the dentist, and so forth, you just don't get it. Um, of course, we have some small elements of, you know, payments through uh, the welfare system for beneficiaries and so forth, but they're not very generous. And um, so, the dental system is very much along the American lines. Um, so, these are kind of philosophical questions, aren't they? Yeah. Um,
0: other question and, you get is waiting lists. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if yeah. you can afford good insurance, if you're quite wealthy, yeah. you don't have to wait for, for years to get a hip replacement, or other necessary, quite necessary operations. Also, yeah, the absolutely. fact is that uh, certain, because if health system's underfunded, certain areas don't have what they need. Yeah, on a general and, basis to deal with things like cancer. Uh, yeah, the, this is absolutely the case.
2: And so it means that people that can afford it, um, wealthy people will take out health insurance because they don't want to risk having to use the health system. Um, I, I think, for example, the Prime Minister, uh, Chris Hipkins, I think he's on record saying that he pays for health insurance for his family because he doesn't want to yeah risk not being able to get health care so it's quite extraordinary and i think he might be the first um labor politician to to use health um, insurance i'm not sure um but it's quite extraordinary you know that we rely on the system and um ideally yeah the health system would just be so good that we wouldn't need to have private um health care um but but there you have it um It's a bit of an indictment on the state of our health care that we have to have a prime minister uh, taking out his own health insurance.
0: Do you think the private overseas contractors are the best people to give direction and advise the direction of our health reforms?
2: Um, So I guess you're talking about some of the management consultants? Yes, exactly. I I mean... With the health system, you know, we're living in a globalized world and we have to bring in lots of different
0: Well, maybe you have to bring in more more contractors because you don't keep – I mean, the National Party complains we have too many public servants, but maybe we have too few in certain areas. Yeah. Like I remember when they uh, broke down the um, Ministry of Public Works because Treasury didn't want other advice coming over. Yeah. uh, so a bit of that, I would think, in all our public in public decisions, that maybe there's a place for some contracting, but well, maybe we're much too dependent on overseas contracts. Do they know our needs? And do they yeah. know, are they and do they have their own bias and interests? I mean, are they do they really, you know, are they really keen on public health and public this yeah. and that?
2: Look. I, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question very well here, Marvin, but when I go to hospital with family and things, I see so many um, nurses and doctors from overseas, and I'm so thankful that we are able to ha- import these
0: people. That's a different our- question, I think. Yeah, I mean, but this- I'm just
2: trying to get across that it's good that we import people from overseas to help our health system. Um I guess at the management level?
0: But they're residents in New Zealand, most of them.
2: Yeah, that's right. And they they are now. To,
0: and they are actually working in the health system.
2: Yeah. So you're talking about people that. I'm talking are just
0: about you go to an overseas company. Right. Uh, say an accounting company or a management company that's actually based overseas yeah. and asked them their advice for how to do the direction yeah. of our public service and our not just health service.
2: Yeah, and I think I think you're right here. That that's that is a problem. Um I mean I'm mean, quite happy
0: that- to have as many people come and offer of their to live in New Zealand and take part in our health care and our right. the, the other parts of society. As long as you know I I don't think we should be able to buy your citizenship, but if you're willing to come and work for the good of our society and because you want this as a place to live, I think that's a great great thing.
2: Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, I agree with all that. Um, I mean, we certainly do have a health system now that is reliant on a lot of uh, management consultants, and those management consultants, yes, do come from, Often from the big four uh, management consultancy firms like Ernst Young, uh, KPMG, PwC, Deloitte, and they are very much overseas based. So you're right about that. Um, oh, I don't know. It's, I, I, I can, I've just been looking recently and I know Robin Gould, who you've had on the show before, has done a lot of work on this too about how much of these consultants are being employed by first the DHBs and now Te Aura Ora, um, to give advice on how to manage things. And it's just extraordinary and it seems very wasteful um, that we're becoming so top heavy in our bureaucracy that we have you know, just millions of dollars being spent on the consultants that could be put into the frontline services. And yeah, I think that's a real problem. And it does sort of speak to the fact that um, so much of Health New Zealand or Te Whata Ora is all about uh, uh, yeah, management and PR and spin. And it's not really about the public interest. And so I think that is a huge concern. And so you were talking before about the new CE of Te Whata Margie um, Magi Apa, I think it, a- Apa. I think her name is, um, you know, she isn't very open to giving information out on the new health service. She seems to be mostly about spin and control of the information. And so I'll give you an example. Whereas the old DHBs used to have their monthly meetings that where they would make decisions on, you know, what resources they would put into healthcare. Um, so you'd have the Otago, DHB, you would have whatever DHB, holding their meetings, and the public could attend those, and journalists could attend, and doctors or nurses could attend, and actually find out the decisions that are being made, and it would all be open, transparent, and provide accountability. So under Maggie Aapa's new regime, they have the the meetings in Wellington, Um, it's all centralised, and... No one's allowed to attend. It's all done in secret. And yes, she will give interviews and put out press statements on what they have decided, but you don't get the same level of public uh, yeah, transparency. And I think that's a real problem for the whole culture.
0: How do you feel about Sarah Dalton, the Director of the Association of Salary Medical Specialists, concerned that... Healthcare spending should be thought of not as a cost, but as an investment.
2: Yeah, I I, I, I totally agree. Uh, and I guess politicians have a problem whereby you know they only have limited money, and they have lots of opportunity costs. So when they build you know the hospital in Dunedin, it means that's another billion dollars that they can't spend on a different area um and they've got lots of different areas that they want to uh you know they've got costs for um so they're trying to keep their costs down and we've seen that with the eden hospital that there's been attempts to you know cut off different parts um of this new hospital build to try and keep it you know within budget and all those things and yes that's absolutely the wrong approach if you're taking an investment uh, orientation so yeah she's absolutely right um but i think it really comes back to the fact that the government uh you know want to keep their spending down um they want to keep their borrowing down they want to keep taxes down and they've got other things they want to spend their money on and we all have different ideas about or different views about the level of expenditure on different areas um, and one of mine, just for example, uh, is that I think we're spending too much money on defence at the moment. We're spending too much money getting uh, new um, uh, frigates, new um, aircraft, um, and, you know, these are incredibly expensive and we're going to have to spend an extra 20 billion dollars over the next 10 years, according to the current government, um, on new uh, you know war equipment. And, you know, that could be money that's spent on health if we really wanted to invest. You know, we could be building proper hospitals. We could be investing money in dental care, but we're not. So these are political decisions. And, yeah, but I agree with Sarah Dalton about this, that it should be an investment.
0: When we invest in hospitals, schools, public works, uh, we're getting something out of it. When we invest in the military, it doesn't really do much for the economy and much for society, does it?
2: Well, that would be my view. Uh, absolutely. So, you know, hospitals have a direct outcome of uh, well-being and of people having their, their needs met. Um, and there's a lot of other expenditure by the state, such as on the military, that it's a bit harder to see know how that actually improves our lives um you know i guess you could make arguments sometimes that some of these military equipment are you know keep new zealand from being invaded by other countries or that they help with um you know national emergencies and disaster things but i don't find it very convincing myself and i'm not really sure we've had enough debate because this is huge amounts of money going into the military equipment, um, much more than you know some of the expenditures
0: on health. When were we talking about um, investment and borrowing? It seems to me that if you building something you needed, uh, the borrowing money to pay ongoing expenses like people's salaries. And regular ongoing expenses of uh, government departments and, gov- and things like education. And that's one thing. But if you borrow money to build a, a school or a uh, dam for electricity or wind farms, and you do it right, so it's there for a long time, that's not a waste. And it'll pay for itself eventually.
2: Oh, you, th- this is absolutely common sense. Well, uh, the, the, the yeah.
0: Governments and parties, including the National and Labour Party, particularly the National, don't seem to think that's common sense.
2: Well, they have different... Um, they believe in disparity. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, I mean, to keep the government going, you need to um, keep you know various other... N- interests satisfied I guess and they're not always just the public but also um, the the lending agencies and so um, both labor and national and government have been very concerned to keep you know the likes of standards and poors and the different economic agencies um, want to keep them convinced that they're not spending money unnecessarily. That they are, yeah, austere, um, and that they're keeping their spending as a proportion of GDP low, and so I think that's really what's guiding Grant Robertson and a lot of his, his decisions, um, and and previous finance ministers um, to be able to satisfy those international lending, lending agencies that um, they're responsible and they want to also keep New Zealand business, Um, they want to keep the confidence of them, um, that they're not um, Mm -hmm. irresponsible spenders.
0: Did the uh, countries like Germany and Denmark and Sweden or Finland, did they lose the confidence of their local businesses when they uh, actually raised quite high taxes? Yeah, that's
2: that's a good question. I think in those countries, yeah, there's there's less worry, Uh, and I don't understand why, but in New Zealand, it just seems that the governments we get and the main political parties we get seem to be very fearful of of business, very fearful of the ratings agencies that they're going to lack confidence um, in them, and I think it's it's overblown fears, like, and that doesn't happen in other places like Germany. You're right when when tax is raised. Um, so yes, it's 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 very odd, isn't it? But you also see that a lot of New Zealand uh, finance ministers and, and and prime ministers also want to go into business after they leave their time in politics, and so they want to have a very good. Uh, reputation as being business minded business focused and very responsible so you know um, Bill English works in business now and you know his reputation as someone that um, and of course he was the last finance minister is what what I'm saying And, and Stephen Joyce they want to have a reputation as being a very responsible business person, and Grant Robertson's probably the same. He will go into the business world after this, you know, time in government as well. Um, and John Key does, you know. So I think it's partly about um, personal sort of uh, careers after politics.
0: Well, I remember the. Well, I actually don't remember the first Labor government, but I, <laughs> I read about the <laughs> first Labor government. And I know most of them retired into state houses, like ordinary people.
2: Yeah, and I think what you're getting at there is the difference between um, old-style politicians and the new style. Um, And they have very different sort of interests and orientations. So, yes, that first Labour government back in the 1930s, it was uh, people from very working-class backgrounds and very humble you know, uh, socioeconomic backgrounds. And I, I think, you know, they were guided by a real desire to change the world, and to improve the world. And they weren't career politicians. Um, and they, yeah, they left politics, well, they went into politics at an older age. Uh, after having careers as, I don't know, all sorts of things. <laughs> some of them were manual workers, some of them were trade unionists, uh, some of them were teachers, and politics for them was a kind of sense of duty, what you do after you've been a yeah a teacher for decades. Whereas now you have a lot of politicians that go into uh, yeah a political career from an early age. And then so, they go into
0: business afterwards.
2: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And they... They finish politics at an earlier age and they still need to have a career afterwards. And so when they're in decision making roles, they need to set themselves up so that they can have a career afterwards as a lobbyist or as a business person, a consultant. And so it's almost a bit like a a stepping stone, if you like, to a more lucrative uh, career later. And so I think that's a that's a real shame, and I think it does actually um, it does actually have an impact on the decisions they make on things like health care.
0: How would you characterize governments which have for years underfunded basic social structures such as public health, education, housing, and will not consider raising taxes or devising new taxes?
2: Well. I I try to be objective about these things, Marvin. And you know, I, I I'm not partisan. I'm not involved with any political party. I I don't favour any political party over others. I try to you know look at these things as neutral as possible. Say it's
0: about both both parties in yeah, their government. but
2: yeah, but I have to say, it makes me a bit angry. Um, I think these politicians are quite negligent, and I feel like they're not necessarily following the the public interest they're not really necessarily uh doing what's right and so yeah we get these situations that you have decades after decades of underfunding of core parts of society that you know affect people's uh, lives badly you know and um yeah and i i feel that Politicians are making very bad decisions, and our political system's a bit broken because of it.
0: I mean, it's a bit of a joke to talk about a housing crisis when they've been cutting back on state housing and actually selling off state housing until recently for you know forty years.
2: Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, the state of um, public housing in this country is is a disaster, and that's why you know we have a waiting list of something like twenty thousand and where I've just never seen so much homelessness uh, in my life. I walk around Wellington, and there's people that are sleeping in the streets. And that's only a recent thing. I I never used to see this growing up. And I see all sorts of social dislocation due to the housing crisis. And it just really bothers me that um, the the government, regardless of whether it's a Labour government or a national government, won't build state housing and anywhere to the degree that's needed um and yes we were talking about the the first labor government just before and you know they came to power when there was a housing crisis and they just put huge resources into building enough state houses um and you know uh, they just made it They just—they believe so strongly in it, they just made it happen. Whereas the current government, yes, they're building a few state houses, but it's nowhere near what's needed. And, yeah, it has a huge number of flow-on effects to society in this underinvestment in in state housing.
0: We talk about the instability of families and talk about crime. Yet, if people have to move every six months because of rents, or every year, because yeah. the rent's raised, because uh, they can raise the rent at the end of the year. If people can't afford housing have to move all the time, or do you only have decent housing, what does that do to their schooling? What does that do to their uh, stability of the family? What does that do to the ability to keep a job? I mean, it's, you know, it affects everything if you uh, can't afford housing.
2: Oh, you're absolutely right.
0: Uh, and then, we, you know, we talk, uh, like, we talk about child poverty. We talk about child poverty because we don't want to talk about poverty.
2: That's right. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, the, the, the child poverty name, I mean, it's useful to some extent, but I wish we'd just talk about poverty sometimes because, uh, yeah, anyone in poverty, um, which normally means families, is um, regardless of whether it's child poverty or adult poverty,
0: uh, yeah, you so can't have uh, children out of poverty unless the family's out of poverty.
2: Exactly. No, I I strongly agree with with that, Marvin. Um, sorry, I forget the question now. Why? <laughs> exactly. it's,
0: I'm talking about the fact that because we neglected housing and also we changed state housing is when you used to be that you spent a four a quarter year income on state housing, no matter what that income was. It was yeah. you had a high income, you paid quite a bit for state housing. Low income, you paid very little. And you yep. could stay there as long as you wished instead yep. of being forced out as soon as your income raised to a certain point. So you had stability, you had community. And I oh. th- also believe they tried to, to some extent, pepper point... Um, place housing in different locations, so it all wasn't just in one area of the cities. Now, it made so much sense.
2: Yes, it did. And part of, I think, what you're getting at is that it also affects the health system. So when you've got people suffering the ill effects of a housing crisis, it's going to then come out in um, lots of health issues and so it's going to have lots of flow-on effects if you're having to shift houses all the time if you're living in damp inadequate housing if you're crowded together Um, and so people end up in hospital people end up with all sorts of um, health complaints so we kind of do when you're thinking about the health system we have to think a bit more holistically about um, what's driving people's good health and bad health. And, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's state housing, it's the education mm-hmm. system, it's economic inequality, it's all, all sorts of problems. Do we have to pay up.
0: a price for inequality? I mean, when you look at inequality, you're looking at housing, you're looking at health, you're looking at employment. Uh, you're yeah. looking at crime. So, do we have to pay a social cost if we want to continue to have more, as we continue to have more inequality?
2: Um, that is absolutely the the, the case. Yes, um, and there's a lot of survey, not survey, a lot of research evidence to to sh- to show that, and that when people are in a, you know suffering poverty and deprivation. It has lots of flow-on effects and it produces ill health, it produces crime, it produces all these bad stats, which then society has to pay for in much more expensive ways. If Ardern had
0: used her popularity to increase taxes, to talk about taxation for the whole society and business, could she have made a difference? Because you never get politicians saying that we should think about taxation.
2: No, you're absolutely right. And uh, Jacinda Ardern did have that opportunity and she had, yeah, really high popularity. She had a majority government. If she wanted to, um, she could have, yeah, with her persuasive skills, her communication expertise, she definitely could have um, made the case for capital gains taxes, for okay. pr- progressive taxation in general, wealth taxes. Um, but, yeah, I, thanks I'm not for sure that. why thanks, not.
0: Thanks for that, yep. Edw- um, Edward. Edward, really appreciate you coming on. That's okay. Uh, sorry, no. Bryce Edwards.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's all good. Okay. Thanks, Marvin.
0: Bye.